text of the sermon tonight is from the 15th chapter of the Gospel of uh, Luke. For the last three services to tonight, we've been, I've been speaking on parenting. So I want to wind it up with this parable of the prodigal son. Now, this may seem a little strange to, uh, the, to us who are uh, uh, younger to have so many sermons on parenting, but it's, uh, it's been uh, helpful to me in its preparation. And uh, I've had a lot of uh, uh, young people say to me, just keep on nailing them down, just keep on going. Verse 11 begins in chapter 15 with this, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country, and he, uh, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And, as, and he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. It was completely deserted there. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and has come to life again. He, has, he was lost and has been found and began to be merry. Now his older brother was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, they heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of his servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he's received him back safe and sound. But he became angry, was not willing to go in. And the father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a, com a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a kid that I might be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came who had devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, My child, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. It's the most famous biblical narrative of all. If you were to ask somebody, what is your, most, uh, your favorite parable in the Scripture? This would be the one. Someone said it is the most familiar story ever told. 
And no question, Jesus told this story to reveal the love of the Heavenly Father, which is indicated by this, or illustrated by this Father's love for sinners who are um, represented by these two sons. There's no question about that. The meaning of this parable is that Jesus is showing the love of the Heavenly Father for earthly sons. But I want to come at it tonight using Brian Harbour's help in this. I want to come at it from a totally different perspective. I don't want to see this Father as representative of the Heavenly Father. I want to see Him as an earthly Father struggling to build a healthy and meaningful relationship between himself and two totally different sons. And I want us to see this father as a model for every parent here. Now what we need tonight as parents who are struggling to try to develop a healthy and beautiful relationship with our children is somebody to model after, somebody to go by, somebody to to give us some help and inspiration. And I think if we looked at this parable from that perspective, this man becomes a model for each of us. First of all, there is the need to be flexible as parents. The need to be flexible. Now, the confrontation of of verse 12 is a familiar one in every home. If you haven't had this kind of confrontation, you will. On the one hand are parents who are meeting the needs and making the decisions for their child. On the other hand is 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 a young man who comes to a point in his life where he wants to be on his own. He wants to meet his own needs and make his own decisions. We've all had that kind of confrontation at some time or another, or we will. And how we handle that kind of confrontation will reflect or reveal the kind of relationships we have with our children. And it seems really that as parents we have two options. The first option is the option of control. Controlling parents do all the work make all the decisions, provide all the needs for their children. And they refuse to accept the fact that the child has grown up now and is mature enough to be self-sufficient. The other option is the option of a flexibility that will enable you to let your child go. It is a flexibility that is revealed in this, is modeled in this father of our text. Here was a parent who realized that parenthood is not a permanent position. Now that's not easy to do. That's hard to do, but it's true that we'll not have them all the time. They'll not always be small and young and dependent upon us. As a matter of fact, from the very beginning as parents, we're preparing for the day when they'll leave home so that everything we're doing in this interim time is preparing them for the day when they'll leave the nest and they'll get out on their own. A flexibility that will enable you to let them go. Now, how do you do that? I'm speaking to you tonight as an expert. No, not really. But as a struggling parent, I believe that there are three key words that will enable us to be flexible enough to let the child go when it's time for him to go. 
The first word is responsibility. Give them, provide them responsibilities commensurate with their abilities. I heard about a mother who, whose son, who had one of those sons that never picked up anything. That sound like anybody you know? I mean, she just went in, you know, picked up his room all the time, or her room. And finally, she just had enough of it, and she said, Okay, from now on, if I have to pick up anything after you, he's going to charge you a nickel. I mean, she's going to really hit him hard. I'm going to charge you a nickel for everything I have to pick up for you. So it came to the end of the week, and it was time for him to pay up. He owed her 65 cents. She declared, Now you owe me 65 cents. He said, I'll pay you. He went to his room. He left 65 cents on his desk with a 50-cent tip. And a little note that says, Thank you, Mom. Keep up the good work. (laughs) Now, children are young people who live with parents who do everything for them will learn never to do anything for themselves. And one psychologist once put it like this. He says, If a youngster is going to survive and prosper outside the family cocoon, By the age of 13, there needs to be allowed a blast of cold air into the cocoon. What I'm trying to say is that the child must begin to see that not all things are, not all needs are met automatically. We must give them responsibility commensurate to their ability. Second word, that is relationships. We must pursue relationships according to their personalities. Every child is different. Now, sometimes I hear parents lament that their children are different, as though that should surprise them. Why? You know, I just don't understand why he's like he is. My other kids were this way. Every child is different. And they bring in to to, to the family differences of personality. And because they bring differences of personalities into the home, they bring a totally different attitude concerning the relationships within that home. I was reading the other day uh, that two researchers recently published how, how, how uh, the, the order of children's birth affects their personality. You know, this might be interesting. Help you to understand your kids. Firstborns, they reported, have a need to be right. They feel a sense of responsibility for what goes on in their families and will be more like their fathers than their mothers. Secondborns tune into the underlying emotional needs of the family and will often identify with their mothers. That's what's wrong with Todd. Thirdborns don't form strong alliances with either parent individually and will connect with the marriage itself. They make good mediators. Fourth kids will identify with the family as a whole, and if there is too much underlying tension, they will virtually absorb it all. I mean, they'll take the burden of the tension that goes on in the family. Fifth barns, if you've got enough nerve to have five, duplicate many of the characteristics of first barns, and the cycle starts all over again. They're all different. Nowhere is that more beautifully illustrated than in this parable. 
Here was one son who was adventuresome and, and he wanted to get out on his own. He was daring and almost insensitive. There was this other son who was kind of a homebody who wanted to kind of hang around the house and he was t deeply sensitive to how people felt about him and how he was being treated in life. You know that verse of Scripture that we often quote, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he'll not depart from it. The best Hebrew translation of that verse is this, train up a child in his way, for every child has his own way. There's a third word, and that is risks. Be willing to permit your child risks according to their durability. I was reading the other day that some psychologist says that if there is a single concept which best distinguishes between effective and non-effective parents, it's this. Watch this. A poor, a poor parent is one who will who interferes between a child's behavior and the consequences of his behavior. And a good parent is one who will allow his child to experience the consequences of his acts. You, you, you know anybody like that? Who just wants to interfere between his child's behavior and the consequences of that behavior? I mean, you get it, you know, he gets a ticket, we run down there and want to jump on the police, you know. He gets in trouble at school. We go straight to the, to the principal or the, uh, or the school board. We want to interfere between the child's behavior and the consequences of that behavior. And a good parent is one who will allow his child to experience the consequences of his acts. And nowhere is that more revealed, more pictured than in this parable. For this father knew that out there in the far country were people who would hurt his son. And he knew that there were so-called friends who would forsake him. And he knew there would be situations that would cause him pain. But he let him go anyway. You know why? Because he understood that a part of that growing up to become mature, a mature man, was to let him experience the consequences of his choices. And the amazing thing is that it was there in that crucible of pain and agony that we want to protect our children from that this boy became a man. So one of the first things that is needed in successful parenting is flexibility. It's either control or it's flexibility. Second is faithfulness. Is faithfulness. You see that illustrated in verse 20. For months this boy, or maybe years, how long was he out there in the far country? Got any insight on that? I mean, at least for months he was there. He was out there in the far country and he belittled his father's honor and he betrayed his father's heritage and he broke his father's heart. And he did everything out there in the far country that brought shame and disgrace to the teaching and the home. He mocked everything his father stood for. And yet verse 20 says 
that when this boy came to himself and started home, the father was watching for him. I see him every day sitting on the porch looking toward the far country. And one day he saw it, that little bit of dust arising on the horizon. And as he strained, he saw his son coming home. And the scripture says that he ran out of this faithfulness to his boy. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And when he did that, he communicated to his boy that regardless of what that boy did, he would never destroy his love for him. Our kids need to know that. You know, back then when long hair was that big of a deal, you know, there was this kid I used to pastor that had long hair and a beard. His father was, you know, it was just black and white. I mean, he was straight down the line, and he hated that long hair on his son and that beard. And, 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 and they had a stormy relationship, and finally that boy left home and stayed for about a year, came back home, and, and the relationship just was just strained and tense all the time. One day that kid came in to talk to me. He said, you know, I don't think my parents really love me. I said, oh, I know they love you. I've prayed with them for you. I know they, oh, he said, I don't really think they do. I know when I left home, there was so much anger and bitterness between us both, my dad and me. I, I, when I, I just decided it'd be better for me to split, to cut out. And he said, I, one day I just got to, so homesick for my home and my parents. I came back. He said, you know, I don't believe they're glad I'm back. So I sat down with that father as best I could. Didn't, didn't get much, you know, I didn't get very far. I said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to get that boy and let him know you still love him. I read an account of, a, of an aircraft that went down in World War II in the, in the North Sea. It was in the wintertime. The, way, the water was ice cold. It was a miracle this pilot survived. But he lived in that ice cold water for a day and a night, just clinging to the support life raft. And when they finally found him and rescued him, he said, the only thing that kept me holding on was that I knew I was being sought now, when the children of ours, our children, get out in that stormy weather, they're going to be able to hold on if they know that their parents really love them. It'll keep them holding on. Faithfulness. Communicate to them that they can belittle your honor, betray your heritage, break your heart, but cannot destroy your love. There's a third word, a third thing. Not only is there flexibility and faithfulness, there needs to be forgiveness. Now, if verse 20 reveals the faithfulness of the Father's love, verse 22 reveals the forgiveness of the Father's love. Now, here's this boy in the far country. He comes to himself. This is what he said. I, I, I'm, my, my father's hired men... It's an interesting word there in the Greek. It means a slave that you can fire in a moment. 
Now, other employers, employees, they wouldn't, you couldn't fire without notice in that culture. But, but this kind of reference, he's, I mean, the lowest class hired men that you could fire in a minute if you wanted to. He said, why, those kinds of men that work for my father, better off than I am. I'm going back to dad and I'm going to tell him I sinned against him and against heaven. I'm going to admit my failure. It's a good thing for young people to do sometimes. And that's a quite a bit of difference between this arrogant boy who says, give me what deser- I, I, I deserve, give me what's mine, and this boy out in the far country on his knees saying, I need to go tell daddy I'm sorry. Quite a difference. But when he got back, what did the father do? He gave him a robe and sandals and a ring and he killed the fatted calf. You know what he was doing? He was saying, son, I don't care what you've done. That's over. That's in the past. We're willing to forgive and forget. We're not, we're not going to hold this against you. We're going to restore you to the position of a son. You have our absolute total forgiveness. Young people need that. How many times have you been guilty as parents of bringing up something that the kids did last year? Yeah. Just like you were last year, you know. You hadn't learned a thing. You said last week you was going to be different. I knew you'd never, you know. I've never done that. But somebody, some, you, you may know somebody that has. It's this kind of forgiveness that says, hey, We take you back and love you just like you've never left. You know that poem, I wish there was a land of beginning again where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all our selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never picked up again. If there ever is a place that ought to be the land of beginning again, it ought to be the home where you live. Forgiveness. One last word, and that's that is favorableness. Uppers there slipped. Favorableness. I mean, let me say what. Let me show you what I mean by that. He was he was willing to make all the resources that he had in his life available available to his son. He was willing to make all the resources he had available to his son. Now let me speak to some fathers and some mothers. Are you making the resources you have available to your children? You've had a walk with God. Are you making that resource available you know how to pray. Are you making that resource available to God, to, to your children? You, you've had some experiences, learned some lessons. You, you've have, you, have the, you have some knowledge that has developed over the years. You have some resources. Have you made those resources available to your children? Are they going to be any better because of you? Ken Chafin's got a little book called There's a Family. Is there a family in the house? And Ken Chafin suggests four pictures of the family. 
The family, he says, is a place of growing, a place to grow people. It's a place, it is a center for creativity. It is a place of safety and security. And it is a transmitter of values. How can your family and my family become that kind of place? Well, it will happen when we see the family as a life support system and not as a blame society. It will happen when we begin to give our home first place in our priorities instead of last place. It will happen when we begin to give ourselves unreservedly so that like the model father in this story, we're willing to make all of our resources available to each other as we build our lives to the purposes of God. Somebody told him when Sir Christopher Wren was building St. Paul's Cathedral, one day he made a little walk through the cathedral. He was unrecognized by the workmen. They knew that Sir, Fr- Sir Christopher Wren was the architect, the contractor. They'd never even seen the man. So he went up to one man and he said, What are you doing? He said, I'm cutting the stones for this building. He came to another man and said, What are you doing? He said, I'm I'm laying the mortar for these stones in this building. He came to a third. What are you doing? He said. And the guy kind of uh, um, snuffed and said, What does it look like I'm doing? I'm working on this building. He came to a fourth and said, What are you doing, sir? And he thought a minute... And with a little excitement, he said, I'm helping Christopher Wren build St. Paul's Cathedral. What are you doing? I'm helping God build a life. Just got one left. Two have left the nest. I've got one left. You know what I'm doing as a father? I'm helping God construct a life. And so I pledge to you as every father, many fathers that came this morning, at least 30, to say, I pledge to God and to my children, my child, every resource at my disposal to build their life, to build her life. Would you bow and pray with me? Father, we need all the help we can get as parents. It's not easy for us to let them go. It's difficult for us to love them in spite of them, to accept them as they are. Sometimes hard for us to forgive when we've been hurt. It's easy to hold grudges and remember. God, in our selfish desires to succeed and our business and our lifestyles, sure is hard for us to say that what we have belongs to someone else. And I pray that tonight you'll give us kind of commitment that would say to our families, you're number one, you're first. And the first priority of my day, my life, will be to care for you, to 
pour my life into yours and to build a home that's really a home. And if there are those of us who have not yet made that kind of commitment, I pray that we shall. In Jesus' name. Now, in a spirit of prayer, would you look this way? There are three kinds of invitations. I'm going to ask you to do something tonight. It's the hardest thing you've ever done. If you've not yet made the commitment to give first priority to your marriage, to your home, I'm going to ask you to do that tonight. Husband, reach over there and take your wife's hand. By touching her hand, you're going to say to her, I want us to go. I want to give, I'm going to be the leader, spiritual leader of my home. I want us to make a promise. We'll make our home the first priority of our interest and energy. If you haven't done it yet, you just come and stand here and we'll have prayer for you in a moment. Second invitation is for you to come and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. This Father, this story is like God who waits for you to come. He'll take you back just like you'd never left. And, recon- and reconciliation will be experienced. Come and give your heart to Christ. Come in repentance and faith. Come to join the church. We need you here to serve with us. Would you do it while we stand to sing? You know the song? You just come on the first word. sings to come, come right on to these invitations. You understand, I'm sure you know what we're talking about. If you're not giving first priority, you're missing, you're not giving first priority to what's first. If you're not giving that to your home, maybe you need to come like this boy came back from the far country, if you're a young person, to say, Dad, Mother, I've just been rebellious and I want forgiveness. Would you do it? While David sings, we invite you to come right quickly if you're coming. <laughs> 